I've walked along fostering families who children are being reunified because the partner's in jail or the mum generally has got the children back because she's moving into state. And when that happens, it's actually beautiful and a carer gets to walk that journey. Welcome to another edition of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. My name is Mark Powell and my special guest with me today is Mary Dickens from Fostering Hope. Mary, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Thanks so much, Mark. Now, Mary, this is um, Profiles in Christian Living. So I've got to ask you the first question. How, how did you yourself become a Christian? Um, so I gr- became a Christian in my early 20s. Mm. So it was only after I got married and had my first child and had this um moment of realising my husband's friends had faith and there was something different about them. They had this peace that I didn't have. (laughs) And so it was really just looking at them and their lives and the peace and the purpose they had in their life and thinking, I want some of that really. (laughs) Mm. Um, And yeah, I think having a child, you begin to have those bigger life questions as well. Um, So I had always grown up in a family where I'd say we were cultural Christians. So you went to church on Sundays, what you did um, until sport took over and then that went away. So always grew up with those values of, of what it meant to be a Christian, but didn't actually have the relationship with God until, yeah, in my early 20s. Yeah, that's fascinating you say that about sport because yeah. <laughs> you and I have a very similar journey. Yeah. We both had sporting scholarships in tennis yep. to the United States to play on the college circuit, but that wasn't, that was a really great turning point for me, but it was a turn off for you. Yeah. Why is that? Um. So my Yes, I went tennis scholarship my first year I'd spent in Texas and um, this is no offence to people in the south of America but I found the Christianity, the people I was at college with had a very Sunday faith and a very different, lived a very different lifestyle Monday to Saturday and it just didn't make sense to me. And so, yeah, it really put me off, um, it put me off Christianity and, and people who proclaimed one thing and lived a different way. It just didn't match in my mind, yeah. So, mm. so I, yeah, turned away from all of that and um, any thoughts of that really until I came back to Australia. So you come back to Australia, you get married, you have your first child. It's fascinating because I think of Psalm 139, which talks about us being fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about, And because I know you're not alone in this, there's a yep. lot of people, they have their first child and they're overawed with a sense of the transcendent yeah. and of God. Why do you think that is from a personal perspective? I think it's also a this this can't be a mistake. This just can't all be luck or fate. There has to be a creator behind it. I think that was also a real feeling with having that first child that there's 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 more to life than life and death and it's just all a big coincidence was a big thing for me. Mm. Um and I think that overwhelming love you have for your first child which you don't ex- experience in any other relationship and so where does that come from and, and what does that mean? And it it puts more meaning from reading the Bible or going to Sunday school of that God loves you until you actually feel that love that you have first child. I don't think even that's, that helps it explain it more, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Now, that's an interesting segue because you come to faith around the time of having your own child. Can you explain what was the process from going from there to actually getting involved in fostering children and then developing your own organisation and ministry, Fostering Hope? Yeah, so um, 
prior to becoming a Christian, my kind of life trajectory was going to be working in overseas development. I'd done studied international law and that's where my life was going. Mm. Um, and so having my first child also put that on hold because that wasn't something I was going to do at that stage of life. Um, so the fostering was really a way to do local mission. It was a way of saying, well, I can't go do that work overseas. What's something I can do here? What's something I can do with young children? Um, that's this stage of life. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't a lot more thought process than that, than, than this is my heart to, to care for the vulnerable and this is something I can do here. Um, and so we began our fostering journey when my biological kids were three and four. And so I kind of also felt like I had to have the parenting thing down packed a little bit, <laughs> like, no, I could do it. Um, and then, the, yeah, the fostering journey began um, and we haven't looked back. So now we have two biological sons who are uh, just turned 14 and 12 and three foster sons who are 8, 6 and 14. Okay. So when you're fostering, and I, I, I think it's an amazing thing. My own sister was adopted. Yeah. I think adoption, fostering, it's one of the most beautiful human expressions of the gospel itself, what God does for us. Yeah. But I could imagine it would be incredibly challenging as well, bringing other children into your family. Was that, can you talk about some of the, maybe the joys and the challenges? Yeah. So I guess to take a, a step back in Australia, the fostering is you, you have to go through a process to become a formal foster carer. And um, the process does prepare you to an extent, but then through my work with Fostering Hope and we, when we prepare Christians to think who are considering about fostering, we very much try and talk about how can you be a family for a child, not get a child for your family. So children removed are removed because of abuse or neglect or um, in at risk of abuse or neglect. So these are kids that really um, need love and need a family. And if we think about a, you know, a newborn child that we were talking about before, as humans it's up until at least two years old we're totally reliant on our mum or dad to, to do everything for us. And so if that mum or dad hasn't been able to provide that, that child grows up with, you know, neural pathways that develop differently in the brain, their body functions differently because they haven't had the nutrition and care they need. And so you're opening your home to a child that has needs. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day that just said every foster carer should think of the child as having a disability to go into fostering with that, that, that mindset. It's also, I think, um, in one of the books we use, we talk about the beauty and brokenness that collide. So the joy of having our two little two entered our home from birth. And so I get to hold them as a newborn baby, but knowing their mum can't do that. Mm. And so there's this absolute privilege in being that person that that little baby is totally reliant on and being able to be in that position of mum, which is such a treasured position, but at the same time knowing there's a mum that's missing out on all those special moments as well. Mm. Um, the joy is just seeing the transformation in kids' lives. Um, our 13-year-old came to us at seven and, um, you know, had all the, what you would read, the trauma triggers of door slamming, running away, um, not the great language, not the best language. And now he's a regular 14-year-old kid and it's just amazing to, to see. We sometimes, you know, with our younger one who's, um, six and has a lot of challenges because um, of his in utero environment. We sometimes have to remind our fourteen year old, you know, wasn't that long you were doing that? Yeah. <laughs> but he's he's just a regular kid now, and that's amazing mm. to see that transformation. So with fostering, uh, you mentioned before you can have them as a newborn baby. Yeah. 
what's the sort of average you get them just as babies or later on when they're five or six or seven? Or uh, So there isn't um, there isn't a, a definitive average. Mm. Um, so it is in Australia the goal is always to not remove children. So there's organisations like all the community organisations that will do intense work with birth families to address those safety concerns so those children don't be removed. Mm. Um, and I think as Christians it's never God's design for kids not to be with their birth mum and dad. So if those supports don't work, then they're removed and brought into care. Um, and it can be any age. The As far as, I, uh, I don't know, the best word is probably the demand. Most carers would want a child younger than two. Um, so whereas where the need is, is there's a huge need for kids over seven years old for carers because people, there's a perception that they will be too hard. Um, but that's not always the case. Like in our situation, our eldest foster son, like he came to us at seven and it's been an incredible transformation. And sometimes those older kids also know the difference. So they know what they don't want in a family. Mm. And so while they still might struggle, they mm. actually want to be there. It's a really good point. Um, and I was just talking to someone, oh, one of the lawyers at um, Child Safety Services locally, and they were saying one of the most heartbreaking things is kids that leave youth detention and they, there's no one mm. that will take them. Like, so isn't that heartbreaking that those... And how old are those sort of children? So 14 plus. Mm. Um, so that's a massive need. And so what happens to them? They exit into homelessness. Mm. Um, and that's not okay mm. as a society, as a community, that that's happening. Mm. Yeah. Do you know any of the stats about homelessness for children in that demographic, like between, say, 14 and 18? Uh, not in the demographic, but for across the board, children in exiting care, so children mm. that have grown up in care have a higher proportion of homelessness, not finishing high school, teen pregnancies mm. and interactions with the youth justice system. Mm. Um, so that's also a big motivation behind my work at Fostering Hope is how to change trajectories of children's lives. So we don't want to just offer a family, we want to actually offer eternal transformation mm. and that's what we're trying to um, bring and recognising that these children, like we talked before, if we think of a cup, they enter life with a cup full of trauma. Yeah. And so we're not going to, um, you know, we're not trying to get them to university. We're just kind of trying to make a little detour in their life mm. so that they're still connected to a family, connected to a church, have a relationship with one adult that's always going to be there for them. Mm. Um, if they finish high school, that's awesome. Mm. Um, and there will be some amazing success stories as well. Mm. I mean, the idea of that transformation yeah. you're talking about, I know, would be coming to faith in Christ. Can you talk about what sort of freedoms are there if you're fostering? Yeah. Um, are you allowed to you know, proselytise? Are you allowed to share what's most valuable to you and what has transformed you? Yeah, so it's a great question. So um, when you go through that assessment process, um, we encourage all Christians um, to be honest about your motivation and your faith, and mm -hmm. that's probably a factor in why you're wanting to foster mm. um, and there is total freedom to take them to church, um, to pray with them if that's what your family routine is, um, but we can't be seen to be proselytising. Mm -hmm. um, so, but however there's a recognition across the board that Christians make great foster carers and the studies show the main two reasons people become a carer is altruism and faith. <laughs> so there's a lot of Christian carers out there. Um, so in a way, um, it's something the government needs. They need mm. us and we're responding to that need. Mm -hmm. um, 
the main, main conflict that can come is if a birth parent doesn't want you taking the children to church and so that would have to be a conversation and a way to respect Yeah, because what sort of involvement do the birth parents have um, with their children who are being fostered out? Yeah, it will vary case to case depending on whether how early on if a child's just removed, the birth family will probably have quite a lot of interaction because that first, um, the, the way the court systems work is that first period is all about assessing the birth parents and assessing whether they can address the safety concerns. Um, if it goes to a long-term order, so in uh, Tasmania and most of Australia that's an 18-year order um, or a 21-year order, um, so child stays in care, then um, there'll probably be less contact with the birth family and it's more about how can we have a the best relationship possible with the birth family knowing they're never going to live with them. Mm. Um, and I guess as a Christian care, it's my role. Something I can do is offer hope and dignity to that birth family as well. Mm. Um, so it, it will vary case to case. Um, in my situation, my little two have been with us since birth and they their parents actually have a faith. So it's actually been something that's been really a lovely part. So you of feel that. like you're partnering with them? Yeah. Um, mm. We don't have their relate because of their life, our relationship with them goes in up and down. Mm. So we can not hear from them for two years and then wow. hear from them. But they, I know they love that the boys are going to church. Mm. Um, with our older foster son, I knew his mum. So he actually went to school with our boys. And so I was trying to support his mum because I knew things were hard. Mm. Um, so when he was removed, he actually asked to come live with us and his mum asked if he'd come with, live with us. So she knew we had a faith and it was a conversation with her um, that she didn't like that he would go to church, but she accepted part of him living with us, Would that, that mm. would be part of it. And if a birth family was really against it or, you know, if it was a, a family, a birth family of a different faith, mm. then potentially a Christian home wouldn't be the right placement and that would have to be a placement factor. What percentage of foster carers do you know are Christian? I don't know what percentage. Mm. It's, there's very little research on carers, mm. um, but I do know there's a lot of them mm. that are. Yeah, sorry. I mean, some of these things are difficult, aren't they? Yeah. The, the research in it is just not there. No. Um, what about financial assistance from the government? So I, my wife and I want to take on foster yeah. care. Uh, children are thinking, oh, that's gonna, what's that going to do our, our household budget? Can we afford to do it? Uh, just on a, on a material yeah. level, is there assistance from the government? Um, so in Australia, carers are voluntary foster carers, mm. which means you're reimbursed for the cost of the child. So there's a a matrix they use depending mm -hmm. on the age of the child and the level of need of the child and then mm -hmm. you'll get um, a fortnightly reimbursement. Um, and the idea is that you're not out of pocket mm -hmm. for raising that child. You're not going to make money from it. Mm -hmm. um, for some people it would enable a, one parent to stay home. Mm -hmm. um, what you don't get from the department or from the government is um, if you need a bigger car because you've taken on, oh, yeah. you're not going to get that support. No. Um, if you need an extension on your mm. house, um, and that can be challenging for mm. people. Um, but the financial conversation is never a nice one to have mm. for any of us because you're not wanting to make it. But it's an important. We encourage carers to have the conversation. Yeah, it seems like you've it, got to really count got, that cost. Yeah, mm. yeah, and and sometimes there's ways around it. So um, a lot of carers, Christian and non-Christian, choose to send their um, children in care to a, a Christian school or a private school yeah. Um, because kids will often have extra needs or some of those schools are smaller so it can be a bit more tailored support. Um, now, the department can't fund that but they could increase your fortnightly board 
reimbursements to cover mm-hmm. the cost of the school fees. So there's ways around that if you can just be open about the need. Okay, so there's a financial cost, but I would think there's also a, a relational or emotional cost on a few different levels. Yeah. Um, what do you? What's the impact you found on your own children? And, and maybe not. I don't want to just be personal yeah. to you. You could speak more broadly. Yeah. yeah. Again, it will vary household to household. Um, for I'll start with my own children. So it's like we're a fostering family, and so this is their childhood as well, and mm. it has had a massive impact on their childhood. Um, their faith is real um, because of it. Um, they have an incredible ability to look out for others. And, mm. like, I think would that be there or not, but it's made it real for them. Mm. And the way they are, the way they look out for our particular little two boys is just amazing. Mm. Um, both our biological sons in their primary school became the safe pers- safe kid for mm. all the other kids with high needs. Mm. We often joke that our now 14-year-old, when he was in grade six, I don't think he did much work because he was just sent from <laughs> classroom to classroom to look out for the other kids. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, it's it's a part of their story. Although it's interesting because I could imagine there's a a risk here that they feel like their childhood is being taken from them. Yeah. Um, Can you explain how you prepared your children to partner with you? Because it sounds like they were very involved in that process. Yeah. So when they were, we talked to them all along Mm. about it. Um, When the little two came to us from birth, they were too young to really have a decision. But definitely when our seven-year-old came, they were seven and five and they knew him. So we talked to them about it. And um, the five-year-old said at the time, for him, the concept of a kid not having a parent that could look after them wasn't even in his world. So he was, if a kid needs a home, of course they should live with us. And I think that's how most of our kids just think everyone's house is like our house. (laughs) Mm. Um, So they, they would... Like they say they'd happily take on more kids. Yeah, and I we have a very open communication with them about how they're going. Um, potentially I've overcompensated in extracurricular activities for ah. them because <laughs> I don't want them to miss out. Yeah. So, But that that's my... Better to overcompensate. Yeah. <laughs> so they are both they're very active boys that do lots and, and I sometimes think, am I just doing that because I don't want them to miss out? But they love it. Yeah, great. <laughs> um. But I think everyone's journey is different. So depending, so we started when it, so our first two placements were younger than our children. Mm. Um, I've seen carers struggle who have taken placements older than their children. Ah, um, right. And some, the, one carer described yeah. it as she remembers they took on a seven- and five-year-old girl and they, their daughter was only three. And they, one of her reflections was we were so strict in the seven and five-year-old because we didn't know what a seven-year-old could do and couldn't do yeah, <laughs> until their own child reached yeah, that age. Yeah. Um, and they also felt they navigated the teenage years with kids really struggling um, and mm. they wish they'd done the teenage years with, to see what was normal first. Yeah. In, they, they've, their journey's been harder. Um, yeah. And a few years ago they would have said they could never recommend fostering to anyone. Mm. Um, but they're at a different stage now and, and their own daughter who's, struggled with a lot of it, she she wants to foster when she grows up. Mm. So um, I think keeping your kids on the journey, praying with them, talking to them about why you're doing it. Respite care is something, again, any, mm. I think heaps of people out there could be respite carers. So that's giving the full-time carers one weekend off kind of once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way we like to frame it among Christians is when you think a child's not just removed from a birth parent, they're removed from an extended family. Mm. So we 
try and encourage all new carers to think about who's your respite carer from the beginning. So right from the beginning of your journey, who's the person on your team who's going to play that role for the extra children you take in? And I could imagine too, you as carers need that respite oh, yeah. care. So what what practical things did you do to refresh yourself as a family, you know? Yeah, it, I think even it's just a time to reset. So watching a movie and staying up later than you normally would because mm-hmm. the little two in our case have to be on bed at certain mm-hmm. times and they need the re- the structure whereas the other boys don't need the structure. And one of the – so my par- my parents are our respite carers. Okay. Um, and that's been an interesting journey because probably like a lot of grandparents out there, they say, why are you doing that? What about your own kids? <laughs> mm. um, but they, our fostering journeys transformed their lives because they have so much purpose in being there for our little two. Yeah. And their relationship with the little two is just amazing. Mm. And and what that means when they have the little two, they have it so that on a Saturday or Sunday, mm. if we're driving around the older boys' sport, the little two aren't getting dragged around, um, but the older boys get that time where we can focus on watching them do whatever they're doing without worrying about the little two. Mm. So just that special relationship. Yeah, even, I mean, I know firsthand your sister. Yeah. So their Auntie Jess, yeah. you know, is, um, she's very involved. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you can see the blessing well, she is to them, yeah. but they they to her yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so people listening to us, watching this, are thinking, uh, okay, I'm open. Yeah. What would be the first step? First step is to pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then something we do, we run this um, okay. preparation for fostering devotional mm-hmm. and we do that every term. This is an American book, Reframing Foster Care. Oh, great. Okay. Um, and it just asks all the right questions. Okay. And because you're prayerfully, we do it over six weeks, so you're prayerfully setting aside that hour, an hour and a half each week to actually think, ask the right questions, talk with your partner or significant people in your life. Is this right for us or mm-hmm. what's God calling us to do it? And that process might, you might come to the end of it and think no or respite care is right or mentoring's right or in 12 months' time. Or, yep, we're ready to go and then we will support people getting in touch with their local foster care agency and that the way the training works in Australia, it's just like two full days, generally two Saturdays or something like that, and then you have an in-home assessment where you have someone come into your house, a social worker, who we describe as (laughs) post-marriage counselling. They'll ask you all the hard questions and it's not to trip you up but it's to check your trauma triggers, Mm. check um, there's regular parenting and there's therapeutic or trauma-informed parenting, check that you're open to adjusting your parenting style for kids that might not relate to traditional parenting styles. Yeah, because I've got a tricky question to ask you, okay. and that is in this age of childhood institutional sexual abuse, mm. um, I think everybody's that, oh, I know I am, is nervous about doing all things, not only doing them well, um, but being seen to be doing them well. And uh, particularly with children from coming from traumatic backgrounds, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, how do you navigate that space when particularly a child's grown up with that sort of trauma? So um, I actually see this foster care as an opportunity for the church in Australia to do a full uh, repentance on on this. So. We did do the wrong thing. We Mm. messed up. We've said sorry. Now there's a chance to say, actually, we are the best place to be raising children. God's made these communities and these families. And how can we now show without, not with words, not with 
mm. getting involved in politics, but now we can just show the community God's love mm. through opening our homes and doing it better than anyone else by having a, commun- a church community around us, having a respite carer, having a mentor for our child in care mm. and show that we're, we're doing it better than everyone else, um, making sure our churches are, are child safe and following we're about to have new legislation in Tasmania following the legislation, but also making sure our churches are trauma-aware and trauma-informed so that they are safe places. Um, as you say, our children come in with tricky behaviours um, because of the trauma they faced and so what we don't want is those those kids to then be banned from church and too many carers stop going to church because they feel their, their kids' behaviours aren't welcome. So how can we actually make sure our churches welcome those children okay. and understand it? Can you give us some practical examples as to what uh, that looks like? Yeah, so I think um, one of the things we run is trauma-informed training, So, mm-hmm. but there's heaps of free ones out there. Oh, I'm thinking even more concrete. Like what are some tricky behaviours you've seen that have been real-life occasions where you could just run away in embarrassment, but we need to have the gospel confidence and grace yep. to handle? Can you give me some yep. concrete examples? Yep. So um, the words we like to use are space and grace. So we need space for everyone to be accepted and the grace as well. So um, with my youngest, his behaviours are hard. So I um, will talk to the – so practically I will, if we've had a rough morning before going to church, I will let the kids' church leader know this is what's happening and I'm always okay. I would rather they came and got me out of church than let him hurt another child. So that that conversation is had. Another, there's sometimes children who can't sit still. That's you know ADHD type behaviours. I've heard of beautiful stories of someone, an older person, the church, just sitting and colouring in with them and doing stickers with them, next to them. So it means the the carers mm-hmm. can engage in the sermon, but they know their person's safe, their little person's safe. Um, communication's the key. So having the the open communication, like. There's a lot of talk to a lot about confidentiality in the child safety space. Yeah. But we've got to, I've got to share my child's story to know there's stuff going on and I need you to know that so you can yeah, offer the how best do you care. do that? Because I'm thinking the tricky thing is there's other families in the church. Yeah. And your child pushed over my child. Now you've talked to the um, the ministry leader, yeah. but what about the other families around you that don't just look at, oh, here comes Mary with her kids, yeah. you know. Um, hold my kids a bit closer. How do you in- include them in that conversation? Um, so at my church, I've, everyone knows I'm a carer and knows that. So that's really easy mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a real understanding. Um, something I've done at school is I do a, for our youngest, um, I've done a little booklet about him at the beginning of every year and it yeah. says all about what's his name. And that goes out to all the parents in the class. All right. And it doesn't talk about him being in care, but it talks about um, some of the issues going on and some of the ways he that he responds emotionally. Yeah, so talks about those things, talks about there's some positives as well. He's a brother and he's got four brothers and he's got a big brother at the school that will look out for him. Um, and so that's just created this incredible understanding mm. in a, you know, just a little government primary school for there's something else going on for him. Um, and I'm more than happy for any of those parents to come and tell me. <laughs> so, Mary, how do you stop him, though, from being pigeonholed? Yeah, and that's great question and it's something for kids in care who are already, you know, coming mm. into life with the burden of being in care. Mm. I think you've got to speak on their behalf a lot of the times. They care as advocates and I found they only need one or two friends, one or two parents that want to get it and make sure they get invited, he gets invited to their birthday party every year. And that's all it takes for him 
to feel like he's okay. Mm. Um, for our older foster son, because everyone in the school knew because he was going to the school already before he was removed, um, like the whole year group got around him when he was removed. Um, but now he's in high school, none of his friends even know he's in care. None of his teachers know <laughs> until we had parent-teacher meetings. So he's gone into high school with just this is my family and this is who I am. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think we... That's not just for kids in care. I think that's for all of us to understand if there's challenging behaviours going on for a child in a kids' church or youth mm. group, to just take a step back and ask what else is going on mm. and have a conversation with the parent or the carer mm. um, and offer to get on the team with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that open communication is just so important. So you're really needing the church to partner with you. I think for all carers, um, I, I like to see carers as local missionaries. They're people in our you know, we, we pray for, we send people overseas and we support them and we pray for them. These are people right here in our communities who are living out their faith in their neighbourhoods where God's mm. placed them. So if a church could think of their carers in their church like a local missionary, well, how, how would they support them? What prayer would they do? Mm. Um, we've got a, a lovely, it's quite a small church locally here and they've actually got four fostering families in their church and they have an elder who's responsible for them. <laughs> and mm. so it can be anything. They can ask for financial support. They can ask for meals. They can ask for babysitting. But they just have their pers- the elder they go to and he'll work it out, whatever they need. Oh, so one of the leaders at yeah. church. They... It's just their go-to person. Oh, that's good. That's and helpful. so that, it's a, that's a model. They That's how they've set it up. Mm. And it's really worked there. Mm. Um, for other carers, it might be their small group or life group or whatever, <laughs> mm. um, and they pray with them and they they can talk to them about a, a, um, a tricky period. So the mm. fostering journey is also not like raising your own biological kids. It kind of goes in life can be pretty normal and then court comes up or contact with birth parents increases. Um, so stuff can happen that then can make the journey trickier and so they can talk to their life group and say, and then get meals for a, a period or need help with school pickups or something like practical things as well. I could imagine, I, I love the paradigm that you say that it's a mission field. Mm-hmm. And I, the verse that comes to mind is when Jesus says in Matthew's gospel that the fields are white under harvest, uh, but the labourers are few. Uh, what are the need for foster carers today? Like how many children are waiting there in the wings if there would only be X number of foster carers? Um, the need is huge. So when a couple of, so Fostering Hope has quite a good relationship with the state government here and um, the minimum is 30 fostering families a year is what we need to recruit. Okay. Um, which doesn't sound like a lot. But, but how it, many are we currently recruiting? We're lucky to recruit seven a year. Wow. Um, and so I do not have, even a third? No. And I do have the stats. So in Victoria, so obviously the biggest states are much bigger, mm. in one year they 596 carers exited, so stopped their fostering journey and they only recruited 354 families. Mm. So that's a huge deficit um, mm. and and shows the need in the bigger states. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what happens is not that there's children waiting, is children aren't removed, so they're left in unsafe situations and way too many children in Australia are put in group homes, so where there's 24-hour rusted care. Um and that's not how we're supposed to be brought up. Um, yeah. Where Fostering Hope sits under CAFO, Christian Alliance for Orphans, which is an international okay. um, 
body and we're, what we're all trying to do is find families for children. So in the developing world, that's closing down orphanages and going to family-based care, mm. whereas here we have foster care already but we need the families. Yeah, God's design is to be raised in a family, not yeah. in an institution. Um, and not rostered carers that there's no relationship yeah. with them. That's not, yeah. And there's terrible stories of that because kids don't know, you know, even for a school to know who do you call if the kid doesn't turn up at school or mm. uh, who do you call to get permission for a school photo when yeah. you've just got rostered carers. There's there's no one person caring for that child. Now, um, just a final couple of questions. Yep. Um, number one, I, I know adoption is incredibly difficult to go through in Australia and costly. In comparison, is fostering a really – because I would be thinking a lot of people would just balk at the whole idea of yeah. going, it's just too long and – cumbersome and difficult. Is that the case? No, fostering isn't at all. So it's a it's a very quick process to become – so we'd say six to nine months, so like a pregnancy. <laughs> um, Which is actually pretty helpful. Yeah. To preparation. Prepar- yeah, to, yeah, particularly to prepare extended family and mm. your community. Um, assessments are happening much more quickly than that now because mm-hmm. the need is so high. So they're assessing people quickly, mm. talking to new carers. Um, from the time they make the phone call, the person's already thinking, I've got a child for you. So they're getting those assessments done quickly. And, uh, yeah, the the really tricky thing about fostering compared to adoption is you are entering a birth family's life. Yeah. You're entering the messiness of that and a yeah. messy system. Mm. And we, the media is constantly talking about broken child protection systems. Yeah. Um, currently in Tasmania we have a rolling 60 vacancies at child safety services, people we don't have the mm. caseworkers, which means situations aren't being case managed and getting the proper care they need. Yeah. So you're entering that system that's broken. Um, and I think that's a spiritual thing. Like God doesn't want these children removed from their parents. So it enters a broken system where you've got, I think, generally, generally really good workers, but they're trying to navigate a birth family that's just had their child removed, who's going through all of their emotions, mm. a child at the centre and a fostering family who's trying to protect the child. Yeah. It's just tricky. And so you're entering all of that as a care, whereas adoption you're not. <laughs> yes. That's a big distinction. And the focus is always restoration, reunification in mm. foster care. You've got to go into it with that frame of mind. Which is a very selfless mindset yeah. to take, isn't it? Yeah. Like I'm raising a child to be someone else's child. It's an incredible act of grace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're loving them for as long as they need. Yeah, um, which could be a long or short time yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's messy but you also get a feel pretty early on whether a birth family has the capacity yeah, okay. to make the changes. Um, and that's not to judge them. It's just to yeah, just know to what's going understand on. understand reality. Yeah, yeah. If, mm. if it's addiction, that's going to be hard. Yeah. Um, if it's domestic abuse, there's... I've walked along fostering families who children are being reunified because the the partner's in jail or the mum generally has got the children back because mm. she's moving into state. Okay. And when that happens, it's actually beautiful and mm. a carer gets to walk that journey with that mum who's making those changes. Yeah. And I can imagine in the future when the child's grown up, there'd be yeah. lots of great stories of yeah. foster kids looking back. And, and yeah. And sometimes ideal situations, a fostering family becomes the respite carer for the mum. Now, that's mm. not always going to happen because <laughs> they're messy people. Yeah. But there can be some great outcomes as well. Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, adoption, I guess, is a more – in Australia it's still always going to be open adoption, So they, yeah. but it's a more clean 
arrangement. In New South Wales, they do have a model of foster to adopt. So you can, there's a different set of carers that are the carers who are only the adoption kind of carers. And in the rest of the country, each state and territory has to have a permanency framework, which is yeah. that there is a way to want to have a permanent outcome for a child. Um, so our eldest foster son, we are his legal guardian, so we the state transferred his guardianship to us. Mm. Yeah, so we don't have anything to do with child safety now in his life. It's a really simple mm. situation. Um, but, you, yeah, the fostering journey, you've got to go into it understanding, I guess. Yeah. I've got to take you back to our question. Yeah. Um, and I will wrap up in just a moment. Yeah. I've got to come. You made a comment and it's just, um, it's intriguing. You said the church is the best place or Christians are the best place to foster. Now, that's a big call. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you say that? Or how, oh. how could you defend that? Particularly when there'd be others that would go, well, you're not legitimate anymore because of, um, you know, yeah. indiscretions and crimes of the past. Why oh. is Why are Christians in your opinion, best place to foster? I think our motivation isn't about us. It's about the child. Okay. So I think that's a huge thing. Um, I think we can offer eternal hope. I think we can offer hope and dignity to a birth family. And I think we have a community. That's what, so in my work, what sustains carers is often that Christian community around them mm. and connection with other Christian carers. So we connect Christian carers together for support and fellowship and prayer. Um, and non-Christian carers don't have that. Well, it seems to me you've got, well, we have got the most higher support of all, and that is God, yeah. who labels himself as the God of the fatherless and of the widow. Yeah. Um, how have you seen personally, this is a very yeah. personal question right now, but how have you seen God's spirit, God's grace, his power at work in you as you foster that you've just thought, I couldn't have done that on my own. That was God's yeah. strength right there. Uh, the, every Christian carer says exactly that. <laughs> um, I have a, in, in the little two's case direction, it was really messy for a long time. Um, and I don't think if it wasn't my prayer with God and reliance on God's perspective that they were his children, not my children, regardless of what happened. I would have fallen a few times there. I, It's just constant prayer and going back to God and having his hope is greater than my hope and what I can see as the outcomes. I've got to trust in his outcomes for these yeah. children. The, the verse behind Fostering Hope's work is James one twenty seven to visit and care for the orphans and widows in their distress. And what I love about that verse is it's to visit and care for. Mm. It's not to proselytise. It's not to convert. It's not a red one. It's not to make well-adjusted adults. <laughs> My role is to visit and care for them and trust God with the rest. Mm. And that's, I guess, how I try and... And I think all of us as parents, that's our role as well. <laughs> there are biological Yeah, that's a fascinating well. verse, isn't it? Because it's the religion that God finds as pure and faultless is to look after the widow and the, yeah. the orphan. Oh, okay, so if people want to get in touch with you, do they just Google? Yeah, Fostering um, Hope. Fostering Hope Tasmania? Yep, yep. Uh, Fostering Hope Community, I think. Fostering and, yep. Hope Community. Yep, okay. and the Facebook page and we've got a website. And can they even talk to you personally? Yep, get in touch, definitely. Could, would that even be an, um, a good first step yeah, for definitely. them to say, look, I, I heard you speak, I'd like to talk to you more. Yeah, definitely. Um, you're available to talk or meet yep. up. Or, yep, 
Definitely. Um, And the other thing we run, I'll just put in there, Mm. is a mentoring program. So recognising, again, fostering is a big step. It's all of Mm. life. Respite care is a huge need and I think lots of Christians, again, can offer that extended family. Okay. And there might even be people watching this that go, well, look, I can't foster, but I could actually help those that do foster yeah. uh, by offering respite yep. or even they might have holiday houses or something yeah. that they could go away yeah. as a family. Yep. And if you've got school-aged kids and you've got a, your kids go to school and they're mm. friends with the foster child or child in care, offering to be their respite carer, for that child in care it doesn't feel like they're going to respite. Mm. It's like they're just going to a friend's house for a sleepover. Yeah, no, and I, look, I've got to say too, in the Presbyterian Church of Australia, I, I know – and this doesn't get any airtime in the media, but I know a lot of church schools, denominational schools, offer scholarships and very generous bursaries yeah. to children in this situation, yeah. which you just have to ask, um, which is a really good yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's um, so. There's the book as well. Yeah. So we do that each term. Um, yeah. And the other thing is our mentoring program. So we okay, that's the mentoring program here. Oh no, that's it. This this is a lovely devotional we do with with Christian carers. So okay. we do all our devotionals and studies on Zoom so any people anywhere in mm-hmm. Australia can join us. So lots of resources. Lots of resources, lots of connections. Um, yeah, and then the mentoring program is finding mentors for children in care. Mm. And where that's so powerful is it's someone who's not paid to look after them, who mm. wants to hang out with them um, and chooses to be their special person. And it's powerful on every level for the child, for the mentor and for the carer. So just one final thing, and I'm sorry if this is an embarrassing question for you. Um, we haven't talked about this, um, hand over my heart. If people wanted to financially support Fostering Hope, yes, is that, that okay? Would be, that would be awesome. <laughs> yep. Um, and again, they would just yeah, contact you and say, I can't foster, I can't do all these other things, but I would love to financially contribute to support the ministry. Yeah. You'd you'd be okay with that? Oh, we'd be very okay with that. <laughs> My board would be very happy to. Ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, so you have a board as well. Yeah. So there's another layer of accountability. Yes. Okay, great. Yep. It's all above board. Yeah. Oh, yeah, all above board. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much, Mary, for joining us. No, thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, no, it's amazing to see what you're doing and may God continue to bless you richly in it. Yeah, thank you. It's fantastic. Thank you. Well, this has been another episode of AP's Profiles in Christian Living. I hope you've been as encouraged and as challenged as I have. If you want any of the details of Fostering Hope communities, you'll see it in the show notes at the end of the program. I look forward to seeing you next time.